0: This is the Scott Thompson Show Podcast. Blog and commentary today is Family Lives Matter. And uh, I was on holiday and, and it was great to spend time with the family and, you know, do the typical things that, that you all do when you've got time and and uh, and finally, you know, detune and, and just relax and put the feet up. But it was horrific to, 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 to hear what was happening on the news and what was going on. Uh, in regard to shootings and, and uh, the Black Lives Matter movement and, and, and everything that has, has progressed uh, through this week. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm watching this stuff, and, and oddly enough, w- when we're up at the cottage, we're also watching a couple of different movies which deal with race relations and were period pieces from the 60s and 70s and such. And nothing's changed. It's, it, you know, I, I'm sitting and I'm trying to explain all this to the to the kids, and it's, it's not much as different now. And it seems that in the generation of me, you know, they used to say it was the 80s, the 80s generation was the generation of me it was the me generation but it seems now that we're just so everybody wants their peace everybody wants their platform everybody wants their right and deserves it but it 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 seems almost in our in our in our strive to be inclusive that we're dividing each other it, it's it's a very odd sort of scenario and it's it's kind of like it was decades ago but yet it's a little different in our need to become inclusive are we becoming more divided you know mayor uh, former mayor of New York City uh, Rudy Giuliani uh, was quoted on one of the uh, Sunday television shows face the nation and he said and this is a quote when you say black lives matter that's inherently racist Black lives matter, white lives matter, Asian lives matter, Hispanic lives matter, uh, that's anti-American and it's racist. Now, whether you agree with his opinion or not, uh, we seem as, if not more, divided now than we were during the civil rights movements of the 1960s. To talk more about all of this, Theo Sellis is with us, registered family therapist, president of Integrity Works, and he is with us now. Good afternoon, Theo. How are you today?
1: I'm doing all right. You are uh, coming in a little bit faded. Maybe your producer can help bump you up a little bit.
0: Uh, we need to be bumped up so Theo can hear me. Thank you, uh, uh, Theo. So what do you, you know, uh, are we more divided now than than we were? Is our need to become inclusive dividing us?
1: I don't know that we're becoming more divided. I think we're becoming more conscious. I think the expectations have changed. I think that there's been a lot of changes around equality. I think that a lot of things that were tolerated before, a lot of violence against certain groups that just kind of went under the table, are now being exposed, I think being videotaped. And I mean, we never used to have YouTube. So I think the issues are up front and the expectations have changed that this is no longer acceptable. So it's becoming more of the public discourse.
0: So has social media moved this forward, uh, you know, in a way that could never have been done during the civil rights movements of the 60s?
1: Well, I mean, I don't know. Comparing the two but I'm I'm still I still keenly remember the Rodney King incident where it was one of the first times where something was videotaped and that pushed it forward. And now everyone's got the ability to videotape and acts of 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 violence, of discrimination, uh um they are they're not easy to put under the table anymore. So on one hand, we have the expectation like, look, we need to have moved past this. We we understand that we should not be discriminating against people for any particular reason. And now you can't pretend it's not happening anymore. We've got you on tape. We see this happening, so let's do something about it. And, of course, when people see it, they become more connected to it, and they become more angry about it because it's in their face.
0: How do we address this?
1: Well, you know what? You use a, a term that that uh, is so... Fundamentally outdated when we were talking about this when you're introing this this uh segment, not not because of you you're referring to a term that other people are using, and that is this this concept of race relations it's a it's a it's a term that that needs to go because it reflects a certain kind of mentality around the fact that no matter against all evidence against all everything we know about genetics against everything we know about uh our our, our history about how race is a constructed term that that there are no multiple races to have relationships with, that there are people who differ in terms of location, ethnicity, appearance, or whatever, Uh, but that they're not different races to relate to. We continue to use language that puts distance between each other arbitrarily in a way that doesn't make any sense, that that was used to harm people before. I mean, it was always, it was, race was considered, was constructed as a concept which allowed one group of people to oppress another group of people, because if you can say that they're different than you, from their perspective, you can say they're different, then you can make a case that they're less than, and if they're less than, then they have less rights than you, and you can do things to them and take their stuff and take them and abuse them. We've got to get past that. We've got to get past this whole race relations thing and understand that there is no such concept.
0: Is that the problem, Theo, we're coming at it from the wrong direction?
1: I think so. I mean, I I think as long as people, and and sadly enough, um, you know, millions of people uh, still fundamentally believe that there are different races, and the moment you start saying that there's different races, then you can identify different qualities to them, and then you can start to petition them in terms of importance or relevance, and you can start to fear them because they're different
0: than you. Uh, Do we have to stop referring to our race? Is that the point that you're making here? Do we have to stop referring to race? I just think so. I think it's an
1: outdated concept that continues to keep us locked into uh, a way of seeing each other as being apart, and... I don't understand the point of it anymore. I mean, it was used, races initially just used to oppress people, and so we're smarter than that. We know that. There's no such thing as multiple races. I mean, I ask my classes, like, you know, it's a very diverse class, and so I'll, I'll challenge them. I go, okay, hey, how many races are in this room? And everyone looks around, and they're afraid to talk about it because, A, they don't want to sound like they're racist, and B, they have no way of knowing. And then I go, some people go, well, there's black and yellow and brown and white, but then there's different shades. It's confusing, right? We, we need to get past that.
0: So where does that leave Black Lives Matter?
1: Look, I, I, think, I think that you can still have those discussions based on Oppression, based on the fact that we still discriminate, people who look a particular way still end up being treated than other people. I don't think there's anything we can still have those kind of conversations while saying we know better, we know that there's no different races, we're all human, we're, we're all in this together. But some of us, based on appearance, um, seem to be treated and clearly are treated in a way that's oppressive. And We need to stop that, because they're not different than anybody else. We're all in this. We're all in this together, but it's like, as long as we use the word race, we end up having these rules that keep people from being able to have conversations, like like this idea that, for instance, you mean you and I, are, you and I are not brown or black skin. So there are some people who say you two have no business having this kind of conversation because you don't understand because you're not black. Yeah. So now we're sort of set aside from that that discourse because we're different. Well, that, well almost, but,
0: that almost seems ironic because the people that are asking to be included are being exclusive. Right.
1: So it's the same thing. as. Here's another rule that comes out of this race language. Um, hey, everyone's racist, and if you say that you're not, the chose how much you are.
2: <laughs>
1: uh, wait a second. Uh, I'm going to say that. I am not racist. I can't be racist because I fundamentally do not believe in the concept of race. It's impossible for me to discriminate against people based on race because I don't believe in race. Now, do I have to continue to watch myself to be careful about the assumptions I might make in terms of how people look or their gender or their sexuality? Yeah, everyone, like myself, has to be careful about not making assumptions based on some sort of shallow stereotype. I have to keep working on it, but I tell you that I'm not racist, and I'm happy about that, But me saying that, there are people listening, Scott, who will say, ha, huh, see, white right guy, he said he's not racist. That just shows how oblivious he is and how racist he is.
0: Do we need protests to drive this home? Uh, how come we don't, how come this seems to resonate, uh, resonate at certain times and not others?
1: What seems to resonate?
0: Well, at at times this is hidden under the surface, then there's times like we saw this past week where it comes out and and rears its ugly head, and and, and we see how how bad things are specifically in the United States.
1: Well, because I think there are still people who, uh, in power, see people who are different as being someone that they can oppress. And uh, there's no doubt about it that brown skinned, black skinned people get. Uh, shot more quickly, have historically suffered more than lighter skinned people. There is still that discrimination based on this outdated notion of racism. And until that changes, It can't be expected for people to go, well, let's just talk quietly about it. Of course there has to be outrage. And sadly, sometimes change only happens when people are inconvenienced, when people stand forward and say, we won't accept this anymore. You can't go about it business as usual and expect us to be nice and polite because this continues to happen. Here another person's got shot. and Here another situation has happened. Here another YouTube clip.
0: Uh, you know, we often, and again, we're looking to our neighbors in the South for you know, as an example. But we, you know, we've certainly seen the rash of, of shootings, killings, what have you, and then obviously what, what follows after that is the call for greater gun control or some sort of gun control or regulation, and sure. it, and it just. Incident after incident after incident after incident keeps happening and nothing really seems to get done. Will the same happen in or is the same happening with race relations, whether it's with with everyone in society or with it's with or whether it's with police? Are we making progress on this? Well, it's a sad kind of thing in a way. Again, I think we're making
1: progress. I think more and more people get it. I think that's one of the reasons why people get really upset when it happens, because, again, the expectations have changed. But, you know, again, it comes down to me saying a lot of this has to do with uh, how we develop critical thinking. How How much do we rely on education, research, science, critical thinking, as opposed to emotion and things that we've just, heard and learned, passed on with, and we keep on using the same language. You know, you use gun control again. You know, decisions made about gun control aren't made on, based on some sort of rational sense in the States. They're based on some kind of, like, history and emotion. It's not based on any, hey, more guns, more people get killed, so we need to have less guns. It's more, hey, someone gets killed, we need more guns to protect ourselves. It's the same thing. We need to stop using different... We need to start using different language when it comes to understanding what happens between people who look differently. We have to move past this idea that the best solution out of all this that'll be more inclusive is that we have better race relations. That's the problem. We don't need better (laughs) race relations. We need to remove the concept of race and have better relations.
0: Just relations, yeah. Uh, Police, uh, certainly uh, you can't compare apples to oranges when you're comparing the United States to Canada. Mm -hmm. That being said, this has certainly been in the forefront. What's it like to be a police officer now? How has our view changed of this occupation?
1: Well, I think that um, you know I have clients uh, who are police officers, and uh, they will certainly talk about the experience of being seen as being not there to protect and serve, but you know more of a someone that kind of like is kind of like a dangerous thing. You kind of have to there's sort of like a hostility, I think, towards the police like a, a skepticism. i think I think skepticism overall towards the police, and you can make a case for whether that's right are wrong. But I think that skepticism towards the police about the trustworthiness of the police is is rising. I think that people are becoming more cynical about that. Uh,
0: why do you think that is?
1: Well, I mean, because, again, we, we continue to ex- be exposed to stories which present the police rightly or wrongly in an unfavorable light. Again, things like that happened in the news that maybe used to be swept under the carpet are, not, are no longer able to because it's very visible. So everyone sees that. And because that's what we've seen, we're drawn to that. That becomes the sort of story we have about them.
0: Uh, are we different than the U.S.? Can we say that? Well, I think that there's less
1: violence, I think it's less similar, and I think there is, I think the whole concept of race is more entrenched in the U.S. But Are I think we taking
0: right? those stories and relating them to our police?
1: But, I, but, yeah, I just think it's dangerous to say we're better than I think we may have the same issues, maybe you know, maybe not as much or not as prevalent, but I think they're still there. And I think that's why you know, Black Lives Matter does have a place still in Canada to be able to call these uh, incidents out and say we, not, we need to make sure that we don't end up having a society where people who look differently are treated less than.
0: Do you think we will ever eliminate the word race? Because, uh, you know, really, when you think about it, Theo, it, that it, would it, it, solve everything. It's a, it's
1: truly sad. It's it's truly ridiculous that we continue to have this. And it, um, I mean, I would hope so. But you know, even you know, if you look at universities, there's a lot of programs. At universities, you go to universities where you learn about people of different races and racialization and race relations. And I think, oh my goodness, if this is entrenched in our learning, so in education, in our higher education, um, what chance do we have? So mm-hmm. I, you know, I would hope. I mean, when I when I challenge this idea about about race in school. A lot of my university students are stunned. like They've never heard this before because in other classes they keep on hearing about different races and race relations and how we have to be racially sensitive and racially aware. Uh, a lot of them are quite stunned. I can find
0: that stunning. Theo Sellis has been with us, registered family therapist, president of Integrity Works. Theo, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. All right, Take care. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHL. All right, this is something that I think is going to uh, resonate with a lot of you. Uh, And this is a a press release coming from uh, the town of Oakville. Council has passed in Oakville a motion calling on the province of Ontario to place a ban on door-to-door sales in the home services sector. Uh, the motion specifically urges the provincial government to ban the sale or lease of heating, ventilation, air conditioning equipment, water heaters, water uh, treatment filtration systems, and other related home energy product and services that are being sold door to door. I mean, it seems every summer we get more notification from uh, the police services around the areas that are saying, "Be on the watch out for this. Somebody's trying to scam you, doing that. Somebody's, you know, here, there, the other." So uh, it it appears now that the town of Oakville is actually trying to do something about it. And to talk more about all of this, uh, Natalia uh, Lischina is with us, Ward 6 Councillor, City of Oakville, and is with us now. Natalia, how are you today?
2: Pretty good, Scott. Thanks for uh, having me on the the show.
0: Thank you for taking the time. We appreciate this. First of all, how did this all come about?
2: Uh, Well, uh, as you know, uh, the province has uh, done considerable work on... um, Consumer protection. It's the uh, Strengthening Consumer Protection and Electricity System Oversight Act, uh, 2015, and um, we wanted to actually call on them to go a step further, um, and we're asking the province to um, to ban all door-to-door sales in the home service sector. Uh, as As you read specifically about um, you know the hVAC uh, equipment water sales uh, heating ventilation uh, all of those things are the ones that are giving us a lot of trouble with you know residents calling in and, and asking us you know has someone come from from the town uh you know selling these things is it is it uh, anyone from the town and uh, it certainly isn't. I mean, there are certain times when our staff, and particularly uh, Oakville Hydro staff, would come to a residence door. But most of the time, it's actually unsolicited, um, aggressive, misleading uh, sales tactics from uh, door-to-door sales. And so uh, I was actually very pleased to, to second uh, uh, Mayor Burton's uh, motion uh, on our June 27th uh, council meeting. So um, that's, that's where it started. But, you know, actually, I, I shall also let you know that... Um, a year ago, I, I uh, ran in a by-election here in Oakville, and that was something that I, I heard quite often at the door, in uh, particularly from seniors, but also from from their uh, adult children who, you know, I would talk to the door, and at the door, and they would say, you know, my mom or dad just called me and said someone was at their door, uh, you know, trying to pressure them to sign a contract, and so it's a pretty scary thing for a lot of people people, in particular seniors, and so that's why we uh, wanted to make sure that uh, uh, we have something out there to uh, support uh, You know, MPP, uh, Yvonne Baker's uh, private member's bill, uh, currently that's uh, received uh, first reading, uh, and encourage other municipalities, because this isn't just in Oakville. I-, I know this happens right around uh, the province.
0: And obviously, you must be hearing a lot of this to go to this extent.
2: Uh, yes. Yeah, I- as I said, I mean, that, I just I heard at the door myself uh, at, as a, a you know running for by-election. Uh, but yes, we do uh, get a number of calls to um, town hall with uh, people asking, uh, you know, who, who is this person? And you know, that's why we've we've actually given them uh, quite a few tips of, of asking at the door when someone does come to the door. Uh, say, you know, ask for your photo ID, ask the person's name, and and for their business card. And you want to make sure that uh, the salesperson's business card and promotion material actually matches the company name on those proposed contracts that they're giving you. And, and of course, we, we encourage no one to sign a contract at the door. As yes.
0: a town, what can you do? Can you, balance, can you do anything with bylaws in your own town about this, or is it something you just have to come together as a group and hopefully you can get the province to act?
2: The province is the, the, the body that would uh, make the laws regarding this and certainly uh, we as a town want to make sure that we uh, are supportive as well as educating the, uh, the public and our residents about that. Now I know when we were just talking at the end there and uh, we got cut off, I had mentioned that there are certain uh, you know, uh, things that we want residents to learn about uh, their rights uh, when it comes to door-to-door uh, sales tactics. Go
0: ahead, go over those and give us some tips.
2: Uh, sure, okay, so as I said, uh, about a photo ID, you want to make sure that the person's name and business card are matching the promotional material as well as the company uh, proposed contract. Uh, now, any time a person doesn't feel safe at the door, uh, they should call the police. Uh, they need to tell the person that they don't want to talk to them and they need to leave right away. So uh, so especially, as I said, seniors are, are most vulnerable to this. But, but I actually want to give an example of when... For instance, a local utility company would come to their door. Uh, Here in Oakville, our uh, Oakville Hydro staff always uh, show ID at the door. And some examples of when they would come to a residence door uh, would be to notify a customer if any construction work is being done uh, close by to their home uh, to advise customers of any planned interruption. And typically a notice would be left at the door. Uh, Also, if the neighbor's uh, power is out, uh, they would come to advise or request that their meter base would be temporarily uh, used to supply the, the neighbor, um, and uh, you know, other times if there's a collection of non-payment uh, notice, uh, that's when we would get a knock on the door. Or if even if there was a disconnection of service for non-payment, the uh, uh, the hydro staff would would let uh, the resident know. But in other uh, Cases, they do not sell, they do not uh, send sales people door to door. So, uh, we, we want people to generally remember that uh, local utility companies, municipalities, uh, uh, government agencies, and regulatory organizations do not uh, send sales people door to door. So, uh, anytime you don't feel safe, uh, it's good to tell that person to please leave. Uh, They should leave right away, and they should call the police, especially if something was just off with the person that they were dealing with at the door.
0: Uh, How much of this results, or do you think, results in some sort of crime? I mean, are these legitimate companies? Are they people looking just to scam you? Are they—who are they?
2: Well, you— so so you know what it's, it's not actually illegal for salespeople to claim that they're uh from a utility company or a government agency uh you know provided they aren't using false documents or identification um so you know there's still uh reports of companies using this type of approach and that's when um that's obviously illegal activity and so there's a, a number of you know stories that we hear about these, you know, misleading and coercive sales tactics, and and generally, you know, they actually hurt the industry as a whole. Uh, so we want to make sure that uh, consumers have confidence in the businesses that offer home services. Uh, but uh, these ones in particularly have a, a really bad uh, name to them, and so that's why um, specifically in our motion they're identified. Now we don't want anybody to think, you know, nobody can come to your door. I mean, your mm-hmm. your you're, uh, Girl guy cookies and, you know, potentially, you know, uh, Avon uh, lady next door. I mean, those, uh, those are not what we're talking about in this motion.
0: How do you separate those, though? How do you balance that?
2: Well, as I said, I mean, it's important for people to, to recognize uh, who's at their door. Um, you know, asking the, the ID and the name of that person and, uh, you know, looking at the company's uh, business information. Uh, you know, nobody has to answer the door, first of all, right? Uh, but but if they do, they should be asking who these people are. And, and again, they should never sign a contract at the door. Um, you know, there's, there's a time and place for that. And... Um, and the the signing of contract at the door should not should not happen.
0: So specifically, you're asking for a ban on door- to door sales uh, in the home service sector, like air conditioning, heating. I remember the water heater, boy, water heater. I think they came yeah. around and banged on my door. It seems like half a dozen times for a period there. Uh, can you restrict it to those things to those industries?
2: Well, yeah, so so we're talking specifically uh, the the ban of uh, lease or sale of heating, ventilation, air conditioning, equipment, uh, water heaters, water treatment, filtration systems, and and other home energy-related products and services. As I said, it's not illegal for them to come in, and as long as they are legitimate, but uh, the signing of a contract at the door is is not appropriate.
0: Uh, Any other municipalities, towns, cities jumping on board or interested in this, do you know?
2: Uh, I believe there are a couple others. Um, Mississauga and Markham have both called for similar bans, and we want to encourage uh, other uh, municipalities to join uh, uh, MPP, Yvonne Baker, in, in supporting his motion and for the province to uh, continue to enforce what, uh, what they've put forward.
0: Any word from the province on this at all? Uh, where, where do they stand?
2: Uh, well, you would have to ask them. Mm. <laughs> I'm specifically speaking from from our uh, municipal end of things. So, uh,
0: um, I guess my question is: Do you think this has legs?
2: Sorry, I couldn't hear you.
0: Do you think this has legs?
2: I do, absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, I, I think people are are putting you know pressure on their uh, on their representatives to to make sure that uh, people are safe at the door and are not being uh, taken advantage of. And, uh, you know, this and especially with our aging population, uh, you know, this, this has become a real problem. And I'm glad that uh, there is, uh, you know, uh, a province as well as municipalities are recognizing and doing something about it.
0: You know I was just you know I remember a few years ago when everybody was talking about uh telemarketing and you know people phoning at whatever time and in in trying to solicit for this that or the other, and the province came up with the uh, the do not call list i mean do you think that there's any way to actually you know make a dent in this sort of thing
2: mhm well. I can't speak to that specifically. I mean, uh, yes, you, if you put yourself on the do not call list, it's supposed to work. Uh, no one's saying that this is going to be 100% proof, but, uh, but I think that uh, it's a step in the right direction. Um, I think it's important to, to put the law in place, but at the same time, really educate uh, the residents on what they need to do and what they should know and uh and, and in particularly you know uh, our seniors uh you know they they should be talking to uh, their their sons and daughters to explain what's happened to them at the door if that has come about and uh, make sure that they understand what their rights are
0: uh, are you getting complaints from from people seniors specifically that are uh having you know feeling harassed or are there people who have actually been taken advantage of and there's actually been fraud in in some way
2: uh both uh, as i said when i went door knocking last summer um a number of seniors said look i don't know didn't know who this person was i felt afraid i told them to go and and i closed the door on them others said okay i was ready to share information but then i said you know hold on and what they did is they went and called their uh son or daughter and said there's someone at the door asking about all this you know information about it, uh their water heater or whatever the issue was at that point and um and they were told Close the door. You do not want to talk to them. So um, it, it really, it does happen.
0: It seemed that we certainly did curb the water heater thing. I mean, after it seemed that that came out of the woodwork. Uh, when there's government programs like that, does that, is that when this sort of thing gets taken advantage of? Because, I mean, that's, I remember hearing that. Well, if you don't do it now, you're going to miss out on this government subsidy and all this other stuff.
2: Right. Well, and, and, you know, th- that's the other thing is, is that uh, governments and, and our, our public uh, representatives should be uh, educating the, the public about uh, the, the things that are, are, are in place to help them out, obviously. But, um, but government agencies don't, don't send people door to door, salespeople, to, to mm-hmm. do this type of work. And so if you are interested, ask for that information that they're giving you and, ask, and say, you know, I'll call you back. Um, you know, if you if you generally are interested in, in taking the, the person up on what they're offering at the door, do not do it at that time. Don't sign a contract and say, I will call you back. I think that's the most prudent way to, to do your own research on who this company is and who this person at the door was.
0: You were talking about if you feel you're being harassed or threatened or pressured in any way where you feel unsafe, you can call police on this. Um, w- is there anything police can do? Do they monitor this at all to see if these things are even legit or or not?
2: Well, um, I'm sure I'm sure they do. Uh, I know that uh, a lot of times they will also uh, put out uh, warnings to people in the area, especially in neighborhoods where this has happened a, a multiple a number of times. Um, absolutely, if someone has um, illegally represented themselves, they they may be following that uh, person and uh, obviously preventing them from doing that again. So I don't specifically know what the police would do in, in each uh, situation, but uh, but certainly if, if the resident feels unsafe, uh, you know that's that's the time to call. And and a lot of times, remember that um, uh, people come to the door and they're checking if anybody's home. Mm. And so when when someone opens the door, they they should take note of who this person is and sort of description, and that's actually helpful to the police later or. To other neighbors who then complain because they'll they'll know that what type of individual uh, they're looking for.
0: Well, we certainly hear incidents of people who are going around and pretending to be soliciting, and they're really not doing that. They're looking, you know, for crimes of opportunity where all of a sudden the door's open. Uh, they'll open it. There's yeah. a purse there, that sort of thing, and they actually just use the uh, the whole thing about the uh, home services is just a front for knocking on your door to see if it's open.
2: Right. Well, And that's the thing, I mean, obviously, as I said, we don't have to answer our door, but come to the window and just let them know you are at home and say, no, thank you, I don't want to speak with you. Um, You know, that will deter a lot of people from thinking that uh, or, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, the characters who shouldn't be in your neighborhood, uh, you know, from, from actually uh, staking out your home or your neighbor's home.
0: What about charities? Have you had any issues with people saying that they were from charities or, you know, I remember having people knocking on my door, uh, yeah, this is to, for dr- drug abuse for the kids, and you, they hand you this thing that sort of looks like it's laminated and well-worn and, you know, and, and, and trying yeah. to collect money for charities.
2: Well, and, and you know what, this, certainly this motion uh, does, not, uh, does not prevent charities from coming to the, yeah. to the door. I, I mean, that's one of the ways that uh, uh, that they do uh, collect funds. And so you're right. I mean, how do you know who this person is? And, and it's, as I said, it's important to take their photo ID, get their information and say, you know what? I'm willing to donate, but I'm going to call you back or I'm going to send a check-in or or call the the company to to find out more or the charity to find out more information about it. Uh, I mean, there are certainly uh, many ways of doing that. But, you know, in my neighbourhood, I mean, it's it's usually people down the street who are collecting for a charity. And Mm. and I either know their kids or, or, you know, have seen them on, on the street walking by and that kind of thing. So... I think people just have to be prudent I think they have to uh, make sure that they don't share personal information with someone they don't know at all and um, and you know a lot of the charities are well known so so if if they're you know that shouldn't be uh, too hard to uh, to determine but the ones that are not as well known you're right I mean they should do a little bit more research and uh, and you know and and still be charitable but uh, but it's at the same time be pruning who they're uh, they're giving their money to.
0: Do you expect to hear back from the province on this uh, motion? Uh,
2: I'm not sure. Uh, I, uh, I would hope that they uh, you know, receive our well, I know that they would receive our uh, Our motion and uh, as uh, the council obviously unanimously supported it. um, I hope that uh, they they see the value in what they're doing and and taking it a step further and uh, making sure our residents are protected.
0: Natalia Leschina has been with us, Ward 6 Councillor for Oakville. They've passed a motion calling on the province to place a ban on door-to-door sales in the home services sector. Natalia, thanks very much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Thanks so
2: much, Scott. Have a good day. You're listening to The
0: Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHL. NATO is trying to put up a united front amid rising tensions with Russia. Uh, Canada has committed more troops to Latvia in order to, uh, well, I'm not sure what they're really calling it. Uh, It's not the old Cold War. It's certainly not your grandfather's Cold War, but what the heck is it? To talk more about all of this, Stephen Sadman is with us, Patterson Chair in the International, uh, International Affairs, Norman Patterson School of International Affairs, Carleton University, and with us now. Hello, Stephen. How are you today?
3: I'm fine. How are you
0: doing? Good. Thank you for taking the time to join us. Uh, talk about this rumbling. Uh, is it something to be concerned about? What rumbling? Russia's complaining about it. Um, <laughs> that was entirely predictable. Russia would like to
3: have a veto over the foreign policies of every country within, you know, you know, a hundred kilometers of it. But this, the question that to be asked is not whether Russia would be upset by this, but which is riskier, having. Russia provoked by 4,000 troops, which is really nothing compared to what Russia has nearby, or, or leaving uh, the Baltics and Poland an open door that he could walk through at any time, hmm. I think that's more provocative, given his past behavior of, of creating fates accompli and, and trying to act, and then put everybody else in the difficult positions of uh, of
0: having to submit. We all thought the Cold War was over. Was it not?
3: Well, this is not quite the Cold War, because it's really Russia, not a, not worldwide communism. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Russia has very few allies in the world, uh, and is much weaker than it once was. So it's not the the battle is or the confrontations are not nearly as as, as as problematic as it once was. It's, it's still pro, it is still a problem though, uh, but we are using some of the tools from our old playbook. So putting four thousand troops into the Baltics is a way to create a tripwire, that is to create a relatively automatic process that if Russia were to attack any of the Baltics or Poland it would lead to the deaths of Americans and Canadians and British and German and other NATO soldiers, which would then tie the hands of politicians. Uh, that, that makes our commitment to the defense of the Baltics much more believable than if we had to, if, if, if Putin did something and then we had to respond. This way, he, the onus for making a big decision, tough decision, is in his hands,
0: not in the hands of NATO. Uh, is he still using the old playbook? Where does he think he is in all of this, meaning Putin.
3: Uh he's using uh whatever plays he can find, whether from the old playbook or the new playbook. He is trying to destabilize uh uh Ukraine. He's been very successful at that. He would like to break NATO, which is he's trying to expose NATO's divisions, and so he'd like to be able to do something where NATO uh, falls short. Um and he clearly has been funding a variety of groups in Europe that are far right and far left that are are trying to you know oppose uh the current governments trying to get them to lie down and he's been successful at, at, at teasing uh getting some support from Hungary and from Greece and a few other countries uh, so he's he's uh, pretty crafty, but he's an opportunist, and he will not start a war that uh, that's going to get out of hand. So uh, we've denied him this opportunity now.
0: What does he learn from this? What have we all learned from the Cold war? I mean, why 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 is he even going there?
3: Well, a lot of this has to do with domestic politics. Uh, that the big what this all started a spiral uh, a couple years ago when we had this political change in Ukraine, which meant, that he lost control of the ukraine that his 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 the previous leader was somebody who was an ally uh and it wasn't so much that ukraine would then fall into nato it was that ukraine would suddenly be have a better relationship with the european union and suddenly there would be a country next door to russia that would be having much more economic success and much more engagement in the world and the people that that rely upon him uh and he relies upon in russia are those who benefit from not being that engaged in the world uh, so he's been trying to play up nationalism to try to distract the Russian populace. It's very successful. The, the moves he's made have been pretty, pretty successful, although the increased costs of, of the war in Ukraine are, are uh, cutting against that a little bit. But he's been very successful at having the Russian people support him at a time where the economy is collapsing because of the time oil prices and now the economic
0: sanctions. Why does he have the support of Russian people, then, if, if for the most part things are collapsing around him?
3: Well, because he, he displace the blame of that upon the West, it's, he can mm-hmm. say it's not our fault; it's the West's fault. They're right. the ones who have the sanctions. uh... If it was up to us, we'd be fine. That that we're under attack, so rally around me. And that 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 message has played well. He's been very threatening of the journalists in the in the country. He's. Um, you know, there's been a lot of assassinations of opponents and of journalists, which have meant that the Russian people are not getting a good, clean message from, from, from abroad. They're getting yeah. the propaganda from the, the, the outlets within Russia. How uh, does that still happen? We really
0: well. How does that still happen in this day and age, Stephen?
3: It still happens because people tend to be uh, exposed to media outlets that are most convenient to them, the ones that they're used to. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you can find in the rest of the world that there are still people who have very limited views of, of reality based on what they choose to read. Uh, one of the explanations for Brexit, which uh, is that people weren't paying attention to the experts who yeah. provided pretty clear predictions about what was going to happen, because they prefer to listen to the folks who are telling them comforting messages.
0: Good point. Uh, so are Russians behind Putin? Yes, they're still behind
3: Putin, uh, but uh, they're also risk-averse. They don't want to have a nuclear war over over the Baltic. So now that we've made the situation uh, a little cleaner, a little more uh, clear that there are costs of, of doing anything more, he'll turn his eyes elsewhere. He'll look for some other opportunity to embarrass the West like he's done in Syria, like he did in Ukraine.
0: How will Putin react to this?
3: That's a good question.
0: Uh, I don't, he's
3: not going to run into the Baltics, uh, but he'll rattle some sabers. He'll make a lot of noise. Uh, there might be someplace else that he can cause uh, mischief. Um, but uh, now that this move is taking place, it, it, it's reduced the level of uncertainty about what would happen or what is going to happen in, in the Baltics. So things will be a little more
0: stable, even if he has a lot of rhetoric uh, about it. What's his future, or even Russia's for that matter? Well, his future uh, is pretty
3: strong. He's been able to rely upon a handful of people for, for support, and they're very dependent upon him. These are people who benefit from international isolation. Uh, he's been able to divert resources from the government in terms of contracts to to buy support. Um, so he's not in a bad position. Uh, the Russian political system is, is uh, in uh, a fair amount of disarray in terms of the, the, the opposition. So he's fairly stable. I don't expect him to disappear anytime too soon. And if he gets replaced, he might get replaced by somebody who's just like him.
0: So will he become exposed? Will will we see another movement like we did in the '80s, or is is do we have to watch this and and continually contain it?
3: I think we have to think about containment. I think uh, this. Mission, uh, some of the discussion earlier, last week and week before, we're talking about six months or nine months. No, this, this, this new mission in, in, in the Baltics is going to be there for years, if not decades.
0: Uh, is Russia taking, or how is Russia taking advantage of the world's instability? People are looking the other way, they're sneaking around. Well, I mean,
3: he's tr- uh, Russia's trying to, but I'm not sure they're getting a whole lot out of it. They've sunk a whole lot of resources into Syria just to prop up Assad, and that's actually costing them a great deal of, of support and influence in the world because Assad is awful, and he is widely reviled in the Middle East. So they, they, they've tried to lock down their one ally, but, uh, but it means less influence over most of the rest of the region. Um, They've become more dependent on the Chinese. The Chinese have been making uh, trade deals with the Russians where the Russians are in a position of weakness and the Chinese are not cutting them any breaks. Uh, so it's not like Russia's on a move getting lots of support the rest of the world. Um, they're they're marginalized and and what Putin may learn from this is that in the short term, yeah, the democracies kind of flailed around a little bit after the, after he walked into Crimea. But give democracies time, give alliances time, and they'll come up with a response that that is a meaningful one. And I think that's what happened this week.
0: How long can uh, Putin uh, prop up Assad? I mean, uh, especially with the West of the the rest of the world uh, wanting this this conflict resolved. I mean, the the collateral damage of what's happening in Syria is being felt all over the world.
3: Well, the problem is, is that we have very little in the way of local allies to build support behind. So we're trying to get people to fight ISIS, and the people on the ground want to fight Assad. And so there's this three, you know, three sides is actually too short. There's probably four or five, six, seven different sides in this conflict, and we don't have any local allies to support. So this is going to go on. I mean, people thought that Assad would fall in 2011 or 2012. And in part because of Russian support, but in part because uh, the people who rely upon Assad are, are understand that if he loses power, they're going to be in, in deep trouble. Um, it's it's really hard, and it, this can last much longer. I would not, I would not expect Assad to go away anytime too soon, even though that would be the best thing for both uh, Syria and for the fight against ISIS. Uh,
0: why doesn't Putin do more to to facilitate that? I mean, isn't Assad eventually going to bring him down?
3: Assad's not going to bring down Putin. Uh,
0: that, Just for that, even supporting this, though, as you said, I mean, in the eyes of the world, how can you support this man?
3: Because, because he gives them an, a, a, a access to the Mediterranean, gives them a base, mm. uh, a naval base in Syria, because they don't know what's going to happen to, you know with the next person. Uh, they're, they, like the United States, often choose uh, the person they trust as opposed to yeah. the institutions that might lead to outcomes that... that uh, might be better for the country, but may not lead to a person that they can be assured sure of. So they they put all their money, all their bets are behind Assad, and that's risky. But again, Assad's been there for four, four years, five years, and, and we don't know how long going could take.
0: How is this different from our grandparents' Cold War? Other than the size of Russia, obviously, but uh, d- 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 he still has control, he still has a certain amount of influence and power
3: but there's no ideology attached to it there's yeah. no there's no but, there's no fear of you know soviet advisors showing up in nicaragua or uh there's no you know cuba is no longer mm. you know a serious uh ally in terms of supporting insurgents around the world or supporting communist socialist governments around the world there's it's really just russia and the world people were making big noises a couple of years ago about brac uh, brics the the brazil russia india china Group, but they're hardly a group at all, uh, and Russia is just uh, is not in the same kind of position the Soviet Union was. It doesn't have uh, the economy is is in deep disarray with with uh, the decline kind of oil prices. Uh, they're putting a lot of money into the military, which actually is kind of like the old old Cold War, which is it's not very good for the overall economy to wasting so much money on their military. Um, and so it's it's just you know they do have nuclear weapons, but they're not the threat to invade Western Europe. Uh, now that we have the tripwire in the, in the Baltics, they're not as much of a threat to to do anything there. Uh, so Russia is getting a lot of play, uh, but nobody's trying to really emulate Russia these days, and it really has limited influence. So China has far more influence in the world than Russia does these days.
0: So where is this going? What happens?
3: I think we got to settle in and,
0: and, and, and it's are the days of you know bring our troops home I mean is that gone? It seems as soon as we as soon as we get into a conflict uh, uh, immediately the campaign starts to bring everybody home. If there's an election campaign going on that's a big part of it. Are we fooling ourselves that think we can we can just go in take over uh, change a regime or get rid of a regime and then leave and, and, and not be uh, supporting this for the decades that follow?
3: Well, I think we've learned some humility is that one reason why the United States and Canada and other countries are not doing more in Syria is because we've gotten lousy outcomes in Libya, Afghanistan, and Iraq. But this Latvia mission is very, very different because we're not propping up a failed government. We're supporting a a democracy that's been under development for the past 25 years. That's in pretty good shape, Uh, Estonia, Latvia as well, Uh, and Lithuania, Poland. These are all countries that that can host us without any, any real conflict. I mean, there's not going to be many calls in Canada to pull these troops out because it's not going to be really perceived. You guys in the media are going to stop covering this as of next week mm. because there's not going to be bloodshed. Uh, there's not going to be any conflict. We're just going to have 450 guys exercising and uh, doing training missions uh, in Latvia. They'll play a lot, a lot of hockey since hockey's popular in Latvia. They'll <laughs> go to the beach, and we're not going to hear much in the news. Uh, Just like for most of the Cold War, the media and the public were not really all that attentive to what was going on in West Europe because the Canadians that were there uh, that would have played some role in that World War III that never happened weren't news. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's to be the case here. The the liberals did this. The conservatives are going to have a hard time finding a justification to criticize it because they do the same thing. And the NDP is probably not going to oppose it either because they know that if they want to be a major serious party in Canada, they have to be supportive of NATO.
0: So it's not it's not so much what they're doing there; it's the fact that they're there.
3: Yeah, I mean that's that's the whole thing is it's it's, it's low risk. I mean it it, it it sounds like it's high risk because the whole idea is that if Russia attacks, it's going to lead to nuclear war, but Russia's not gonna attack 'cause they're not going to attack because they're not going to want to risk nuclear war, so it's going to be a long time a long term uh effort uh but it's not going to be one that's going to be in the news all the time because it's it's going to be the Canadians, the Americans the british uh and the rest of NATO on one side. Just hanging out there, and the Russians on the other side, and not much is going to go on between the two, hmm. uh, and that's kind of boring from the standpoint of, of the public.
0: Why didn't this happen prior to the uh, Crimea and Ukraine? Why, why, why didn't we? Do, why did that happen? How did how did this happen when we've got uh, allies waiting in the wings? Well,
3: this didn't happen until then because we were betting on Putin and his allies wanting to engage in the international economy. We had made a bunch of deals with Putin and his predecessor. We were hoping that with democratization uh the russia would have uh leaders that weren't so prone to engage in risky dangerous behavior uh and so we so we had we had expectations that we didn't need to make these kinds of investments i mean one of the problems people have is they they argue that NATO scared Russia by enlarging to its borders but at that same time we were actually pulling out almost all of them every military was cutting back the United States was pulling its tanks out of out of Europe so it, you know they were joining the political organization but there wasn't troops lining up on the border it was only with Putin's aggression in Crimea and then in Ukraine that that uh NATO started thinking about this and there's a lot of domestic politics and a lot of alliance politics to make this happen The Germans were very reluctant to do anything that might provoke Putin further two years ago at the Wales Summit. But after lots of broken promises and and ceasefires that didn't cease much fire in in Russia, uh, even the Germans got fed up with this and were willing to to provide uh, troops to their assigned country, which I believe is Lithuania.
0: Is Canada's relationship with Russia any different under our new government?
3: We'll see. It's uh, early to tell, I think what we'll see might be somewhat of a change in tone but not much more than that because again Putin has a set of policies that that not only violate what conservatives expect of the world but what liberals expect of the world uh that Canada has always sided with NATO and we'll, uh, 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 you know the liberals were you know in power when Canada helped to create NATO so we're not going to see the, the liberals do that much that's different than um than Harper did it's kind of like with China both in the conservatives in 2005 and 2006 and the liberals last year made promises that they'll do a better job managing their adversaries uh, than the previous government did. But the adversaries are adversaries for a reason,
0: hmm.
3: and they're going to have a, a hard time getting them to cooperate. So I, I, don't, I don't expect much more to change uh, than tone, because any, all the substance, substantive issues, there are some deep gaps, between a deep divides between us and the Russians and us and the Chinese.
0: Stephen Sademan's been with us, uh, Patterson Chair in International Affairs, Norman Patterson School of International Affairs, Carleton University. Stephen, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. My pleasure, Scott. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.